Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Turn with me once again in your Bibles, please, to 1 John and chapter 4. 1 John and chapter 4. The theme of verses 7 down through the end of the chapter, the theme is the love of God. The love of God for us manifested in the person of Jesus Christ who came that we might have life and that he might be the propitiation for our sins. God loves you today. Isn't that good news? He does. He loves you. And because God loves you, he wants you in response to love him. The good news is God continues to love even when people don't love him. But he wants us to respond in faith to what Christ did for us and out of love for God express our gratitude day by day. We ought to be counting our blessings all the time. Why? He touched us and he made us whole. But we are not only to love God. But we learned last Sunday that love comes from a triune God. That God the Father loves us, that God the Son loves us, and that God the Holy Spirit loves us. And so we in turn are to love the Father, to love the Son, and to love the Holy Spirit. And that it is only natural as an outgrowth of that love to love the people that God has redeemed. Yes, we're to love the whole world. We're to love sinners like the Lord loved sinners and sent his son to die. We can't die for them, but we can proclaim the death of Christ to them and his resurrection from the dead. We need to reach out in love to the lost. But brethren, this passage is not talking about that. This passage is talking about the natural outgrowth of love for the brethren because of God's love for us. And so that's where we're focused today. If you take your bulletins, you'll notice the outline there. And the first thing we want to begin with is the definition of love, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's just bow for a prayer. Our Father, Lord, it is our desire to hear through the ministry of the Holy Spirit today, through the mouth of your instrument, Lord, that you have set up for this moment in time. Lord, this service is different than any other service will ever be. Because, Lord, this will be the only time when we meet on this day, in this hour, with this specific group of people. And I believe with all of my soul that you have a message for every single one of us. And so, Lord, use your word today. Do what only you can do. And as the word of God is proclaimed, take it out and bury it deep within the hearts of everyone who is here. And may we not only know the truth, but come to live it out in our practice. Bless your word to our hearts and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now what is this love? Well, you'll notice at the end of verse 8 it says, For God is Love. Now, this is very important. It does not say God has love. Though there's a sense in which that is true. He has the ability, the capacity to love. But this verse says that God doesn't just have the ability to love, that he by his very nature 
is love. If you want to understand what love is, come to understand who God is. God is love by nature. The first reason Christians must love other Christians is that the very nature of God is love and therefore it demands of we who profess to know God to manifest that same love toward the people of God. You'll notice that it begins in verse 7 with the word beloved. This is a form of that Greek word agape and literally means divinely loved ones. In other words, those who are loved by God. Aren't you glad you can say that today? <laughs> that you're loved by God? I mean, he has many reasons not to love us, amen? amen. But he loves us anyway. He chose to love us from the beginning because it is his nature to love. And he has been in the process throughout time of redeeming a people unto himself. And if we're saved today, we can praise God that his love has shown forth in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we today are children of God. Now what is this divine love? First of all, it is the love of self-sacrificing service. To love is to serve. God has served the world in the sense in which he has provided for the world what the world could not provide for itself. He has provided the world with a savior. And he did so not only through the sufferings of his son Jesus, but through his own personal sufferings of having to submit his one and only beloved son to the trauma of the cross, not only the physical sufferings, but the pouring out of God's own wrath against our sins. God suffered while his son was suffering. And it was a form of service to mankind. It is self-sacrificing. And brethren, if God has sacrificed for you and for me, he says, the natural response of a true Christian should be to want to self-sacrifice and serve those who are also in the body of Christ. Now, now, here's the question. How do we manifest serving love to other believers? Well, first of all, we need to focus on others rather than on ourselves. We need to focus on the needs of others and not our own. We need to focus on the interests of others and not our own interests. The scripture says these things over and over again. Here's my question to you. How well did you do in the last week of putting everyone else ahead of yourself? The honest truth is, many, many times, folks, our lives are all wrapped up in making sure that we're getting what we need and what we want. And yes, we may have some immediate people around us in our family that we want to make sure they get what they need. But the truth is, a whole week can go by and we don't even think about our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We don't see them, so out of sight, out of mind. But that's not the way a family is supposed to act. We are supposed to put others ahead of ourselves. If we have self-sacrificing service, we are not counting the cost to ourselves. What we're evaluating is the benefit and the blessing to others. So that if I go without, it causes me joy that in my going without, I can be a blessing to someone else. Self-sacrificing service is not loving others so that they will love you in return. That's not what God did. God loved the world and he gave, knowing that the vast majority of people on the planet throughout time would reject the very sacrifice he made for them. But he did it anyway. And I want to suggest to you that if we seek to minister to one another so that those people will be nice back to us, we have a wrong motivation. 
We should be willing to serve others and do for others and think of others and put them ahead of myself. Why? Simply because this will please God and bless them, whether they are ever a blessing to me back or not. This is a love of self-sacrificing service. Number two, it is a love granted to someone who needs to be loved. Can I ask you, do you need to be loved? We all need to be loved. But we especially all in the human race need to be loved because we are only deserving of eternal judgment. And we desperately need someone to love us. And thank God that someone is God himself. Think about it for a moment. What are you by nature? We said God is love by nature. What are you by nature? Aren't we the opposite of that? Aren't we selfish basically in our nature? Don't we usually think about ourselves? The Bible says, and this is sometimes hard for us to fully grasp, we believe there are people like this in the world, but we just don't always think we're those people. The Bible says that we are depraved sinners. That there is not one single thing in us that is acceptable to God when it just comes from us. The only thing acceptable to God is that which he has redeemed and then is returned to him. And so I need to ask myself, do I need to be loved? Of course I need to be loved because I am totally undeserving. And I want to suggest to you that your brothers and sisters in Christ are undeserving as well. But we cannot choose to love or not to love based upon whether they, we think that they really need it or not. The truth is we're so selfish, we're generally thinking about what we need. We want others to help us, to minister to us, to make us feel better. We want someone to pat us on the back and, and encourage us. But we need to get out of every, our bed every single morning and we need to go forth with this attitude. Lord, who can I love today? Who can I bless today? Quite frankly, I get tired of focusing on myself. I get awful discouraged when I do. D did you mess up this last week at all? Boy, I sure did. I really did. I, I really did. I really messed up a couple of times this last week. I mean, it's such a stupid thing. Do you know how we can get messed up over stupid stuff? I did my once-a-year vacuuming. No, it's not quite that bad, but, you know. And I have this little vacuum. It's about this big. But boy, can that thing suck dirt. It's really a good little thing. But you know what? Where you put the bag on the inside, you have to put it in, you have to do it just right. It took me 25 times to be able to put that bag in the right place so that it would suck when I'd close the thing. And you know, it's so frustrating. I mean, once it catches, man, does that thing work good. But time after time after time. And you know what? Robbie gets like, one is, is not bad. I, I can handle one and two and maybe even three. But 24 and 25 is getting to be pretty much of a strain. And I finally got it to work. And so I picked it up and I'm walking across the room to go to the place where I can plug it in. And the handle broke off. And you have to have that part of the handle to keep it closed to make the bag work. You would not want to have seen your pastor at that moment. I was not rejoicing in Jesus. <laughs> but you know what? I, I mean, I did. I, I, I just, when that thing fell on the floor, and of course, everything went everywhere, and a mess, and you know, it's just like, now I not only got to vacuum the floor, I got to clean up all this mess, and I got to figure out how I'm going to hook this thing so it'll still hold together. And I finally got it done after about two and a half hours. It usually takes me about 45 minutes to do the whole house and, you know, get it the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> But you know what, from the moment, seriously, from the moment when that, I mean, I was struggling when it was just not, you know, closing right and so on. 
But when I dropped it and it broke and it fell and went, I wanted to scream. And I did. <laughs> but you know what? The minute I screamed, haven't you had the experience? You scream and then you say, you idiot. How can you possibly think for a moment that that was pleasing to God? The anger of man does not serve the righteousness of God. I mean, that was just one thing. We won't go through the rest of my sins, okay? We'll talk to you about some of yours first, and then I'll come back to a few more of mine. But here's my point, brethren. Listen. We, though we're saved by the grace of God, and we praise Him for that, but we still have the old nature within us, and we are still sinners, and there is depravity within us that wants to control us. We need somebody to really love us. And then the last thing, the love is granted not necessarily to someone who is attractive, deserving, or lovable. You don't just love people who are nice people. The Bible says even the Gentiles do that. In other words, even the unsaved do that. They, nice people treat nice people well, generally speaking. But it's when something goes wrong and we're still nice in spite of it all, that's when Jesus is seen in us. But not everyone who needs to be loved is going to be attractive, deserving, or lovable. But I want you to turn this on yourself for a moment. Is there anything about you that makes you worthy or deserving of God's love? And the answer to that question is no. Nothing. And I don't care now if you've been saved 40 years, you've been seeking to live for the Lord, there's still nothing in you deserving of the love of God. If you have been able to live for Jesus and manifest the reality of Jesus in your life, it is by the grace of God that that has happened. He is to get all of the glory and you still come before Him as a humble, broken person and say, Lord, I need you. Beloved. All of that is in that word. <laughs> Aren't you glad that you're loved of God? Number two, love is evidence of the possession of spiritual life and an intimate relationship with God. Notice what it says in 7, the second part of the verse. It says, everyone who loves is what? Is born of God. Being born of God means to be born again. You'll remember this verse, John 1.13 who were born, and he's talking about those who have received Christ as their Savior, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We have new life today because of the work of God within our hearts. So the first reason believers are to extend such sacrificial love to one another is that love is from God. And when he brought us into his family, when he gave us new life, he gave us the capacity to love with agape love. We never had that capacity before. At very best before, we had phileo, which is the ability to love between friends and family and so on. And many unbelievers are able to express some love in that way. But to love as God loves, that was impossible to any of us until God brought us to new life in Christ. We came into His family and the Bible says we are in Christ. We are part of Him. Therefore, if believers possess his life, if you have his life and he is love, then love must of necessity manifest in your life. If we possess his life and we walk in his light, we walk in righteousness even as he walked, then we will love others in the body of Christ. Now notice what it says here. 
In verse 7, it says, and everyone who loves is born of God. Now, in the Greek, this is in what is called the perfect passive form. And literally, is saying, has been begotten. In other words, it's something that has already happened. And the reason you know it's already happened, because love is being manifested in your life. You don't say, I know I'm born of God because I prayed a prayer one day. You say, I'm born of God because now your life is manifesting the life of God. The love of God. It's being showered out of your life. So we have been begotten. Everyone God has saved in the past continues to give evidence of that fact in the present. Those who possess the life of God have the capacity and know the experience of loving. No, no, we don't do it perfectly. We know that. We don't do it perfectly. But have you not, and can you not look back in your life on a situation where you knew that it would be only God that would help you to love a certain person? That it was only God who can enable you to love someone who has treated you so poorly? That only God can enable you, despite a hurt that was done to you by some individual, to say, I will not turn the hurt back upon them and seek to destroy them. I will rather love them so that they might be able to get their lives right with God. That's only going to happen when you have the love of God active in your life. And I want to tell you folks, if you truly are saved, and if we truly are saved, our lives will show in the present, what was born into us the day we got saved. And that is the love of God. Love stems from a regenerate nature and also from fellowship with God, which issues in knowing Him. The absence of love is evidence that a person does not know God. And we're going to talk about that in our third point in just a moment. Those whose lives are not characterized by love for other Christians are not Christians themselves, no matter what they claim. There are people who say, oh, I prayed the prayer 40 years ago. Don't want anything to do with the Lord today, really. Don't read the Bible, don't pray, don't go to church, don't spend time with Christians. Just living their own life, seeking to do what they want to do, to enjoy it as much as they can. Oh, I mean, I, I prayed a prayer, so I'm all set. But my Bible says that if I, and I'm not saying pray the prayer is wrong. You can pray a prayer to receive Christ. I did that. Many people do that. But being saved is not for, as we were saying in Sunday school this morning, you don't get saved for the altar. You get saved for a relationship with God. It isn't just walking forward and praying a prayer and then forgetting about God until you die. It's beginning a new life with God and then walking with Him every day. And we may have times when we fall away, but because we're truly saved and have the Spirit of God in us, He will convict us and He'll pull us back. What are you doing? What are you doing, actually doing, to manifest love to your brethren? Are you using your spiritual gifts to bless others? You know that's why you have one, by the way. It isn't so you can be a Sunday school teacher. It's so you can teach people who need the Word of God. It's not about you, it's about the people you minister to. If you have the gift of mercy, that's showing practical love to people who are suffering. And you cook that meal. It isn't they can say, oh, you're such a good cook. If that's why you did it, some of us better forget it because what we cook doesn't turn out so good anyway. But I want to tell you, when you provide that meal for them, it isn't so that they will pat you on the back. It's so that they are uplifted and encouraged. It's all about them and not about you. So what spiritual gift do you have? And did you in the last seven days exercise your spiritual gift in some way for the glory of God and the benefit of his people? 
That's how you manifest love. What about forgiving? Do you think that forgiving others is a manifestation of love? Have you ever been put out with another Christian? Huh? You ever been put out to the point you didn't want to talk to him? In fact, you didn't talk to him. Because you said, if I start, if I open my mouth, I'm going to say what I'm thinking. Uh, you better keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something. Do you know that one of the greatest manifestations of the love of God is the ability to forgive and not hold grievances against people? Did you do that this week? What about encouraging others? Coming alongside and encouraging. What about serving humbly? Taking the place of the servant? How about washing people's feet? I wonder how many would sign up for that committee if we had that, you know. The foot washing committee. No one wants it. No, but is it not true? I mean, to take the humble place... And sadly, even when we do do the serving thing, sometimes we do it because we want people to acknowledge what we did as opposed to just doing it for the glory of God. What about the fallen? Talk about brothers and sisters who are not walking with the Lord right now or don't seem to be. Do you know that if we had everybody here this morning who is on our contact list we couldn't begin to fit in this room couldn't even begin to do it you know that some of those people that are on our contact list have not walked into this church for two years some of them are members of the church some people just fell away because of other interests other things that they're doing and now Sunday is a day to do this or to do that, but it's not a day for the Lord and a day for church. Do you ever look around on a Sunday and see who's missing and think, I'm just going to call up brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and just give them a word of encouragement. I'm not going to call them and say, where were you last Sunday, you sinner? <laughs> you do that, you're not going to get very far, are you? They'll say, talking about sinners, let's talk about you for a minute, right? No, but I'm serious. People who used to be faithfully involved in this church, and they don't go anywhere at all, they sit at home week after week after week. And you know what? I'm amazed how many times when I show up at the door, and I try to visit these people, I go to the door, and you know, they say, we left all that long time ago, and we've never heard from anybody in the church. You know how you show love to a brother or a sister? And they may be going through a time and they may not even want to come to church, but I want to tell you, it will make a difference if you show them the love of Christ and reach out to try to encourage them. And that may be the very thing ultimately the Lord will use to pick them up and get them coming back to church again. All I'm saying is, it's one thing to talk about loving one another and so on. Yeah, well, we don't punch each other out while we're at church. Hallelujah. Well, I think it ought to be a whole lot more than that. Who in the body of Christ in the last seven days did you show the love of God to in a very specific way? And if you didn't really do much this last week, what about the week before? And what about the week before that? Some of us might have to go quite a few weeks back before we think about going out of the way to really show love to somebody. Brethren, it's not enough to say we love. It's just like it's not enough to say you love God. You have to show Him. He said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. God expects us to manifest in practical ways love for Him. But we also have to show practical love to one another. Number three, lack of love shows that one does not know God. Verse 8, notice what it says. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now some people are going to react to that and say, Oh, that John, he was so black and white. There was no gray for that boy. What's wrong with him? 
He says, if you do not love, you do not know God. Because if you know God, you've been born of God, you have his life within you, and his life must manifest itself. And if you don't love, then you don't know God. That's the bottom line. That's what he says. Now that to me comes, as they say, straight from the shoulder, you know, bang. It kind of hits you those words, don't they? But I want to tell you something. One thing is absolutely for sure. People won't know that you love God unless you love the people of God. That's what the Lord teaches in this passage. Because how can you love a God you've never seen if you can't love a brother or sister you have seen and know? That's what he says in the scripture. That's what John says. You can't love God if you have not come to love others within the body of Christ. Now, there are two senses of God's love, and I want to be very careful about this, but I want to be very clear about it as well. John 3.16, we all know, for God so loved the world. That means he loves humanity. Amen? Amen? And how did he manifest that love? He gave his only begotten son, and so automatically everybody is saved. Is that what that means? No, because then he goes from the larger humanity that he says that he loves and he talks about a specific group of people within that humanity that whosoever what? Believeth in him. So there is a love that God has for humanity in general, but there is a special love that God has for those who believe in his son. I don't know if you want to say one is more a general love, the other is a special, eternal kind of love. You, you remember this verse, don't you? Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord hath appeared of old to me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with what? An everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Oh, folks, listen. God loved you and me. If you're a Christian today... He loved you with this special love even before the foundations of the world. And he loved you that way and he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love even before you were made. Therefore, with loving kindness, I'm drawing you to myself. Isn't that glorious? Now, some people want to suggest that God loves the lost in an equal manner that he loves the saved. Now, he loves them both. But he has a special, eternal, divine love for those who have believed on his son. And let me just help you to think about this for a moment. If God loves the lost in the same way he loves the saved, why does God do for the saved what he will not do for the lost? Do you know there are things that God will do for you that he won't do for lost people? You did know that, right? Go like this if you, you knew that. Do you understand that God has never, ever, ever, ever promised to answer the prayers of unbelievers? Never, ever. Now, sometimes he does because he's a gracious and merciful God, but God has not obligated himself to answer the prayers of the lost. There's only one prayer from the lost that God wants to hear. I repent and believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. That prayer God will answer. But until that point, he will not answer their prayers or is not bound to answer their prayers. But I want to tell you something. God has bound himself to answer your prayers as a Christian. And I want to suggest to you today, God has already answered every prayer you have ever offered to him. You say, are you kidding? I haven't gotten everything I've asked for. That's because God's answer isn't always yes. We think because we ask him sometimes that God's obligated to answer yes. I got news for you. That's not the case. If it's not according to his will, you can ask a billion gazillion times and he'll never do it. You cannot obligate God to do your will. 
there are those in the church, in the evangelical church out there today, who say, if you come to God in faith and you name it, you can claim it. In other words, you say, God, I want this. He is obligated to answer your prayer. No one obligates God. He only does his will. So sometimes he says yes, and we love that. Sometimes he says no, we don't usually love that. But I want to tell you something, I'm thankful for a lot of prayers of mine God didn't answer. Have you ever realized you've asked for some really dumb things? That if you had actually gotten them, it probably would have ruined you? But you know what God's most common answer is? Wait. There will be a time... I mean, the Apostle Paul prayed three times and the Lord said, no, three times. And you know what? He finally got the message. Okay, the Lord said, no, so I'm not going to pray about that anymore. I'm just going to embrace the grace that he offers me to endure in the midst of my suffering and persecution and difficulties. So God has answered every single one of your prayers. You may not have liked his answer, but he answered your prayer. And that's why we keep praying for some things because we're convinced some things God hasn't necessarily said no. It's just not the time yet. Do you understand that God doesn't forgive the daily sins of unbelievers? He can't do that. You want to know why? There's no basis to do it. They have not embraced Jesus as their Savior. They have not received the work of atonement in their lives. You and I now, we've been saved. And positionally, our sins past, present, and future are gone. But we know that in our practice, our sins affect our walk every day. And we can go every single day to God and say, Lord, I messed up again. I'm sorry. And if I truly have a broken heart, and one of the things missing in the body of Christ today is brokenness before God over our sin. But we can get forgiven every day. Restored every day. Every moment of every day. But he didn't do that for unsaved people. They need to get the bath first. Then we get our feet washed. But you need the bath. You know God has never promised to protect unsaved people from satanic attack. Think of all the people Jesus cast demons out of. But you know what? He's promised. He's given us armor so that we can stand in the evil day and having done all to stand and have victory over the enemy. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. He doesn't do that for unsaved people. He does that for us. Why? Because of his special eternal bond of love with us. And I could go on and on and on. You know what God has in store for the lost? I want you to turn with me to this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just back a few pages in your Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, let me back up to verse 6. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. One of the teachings here is don't try to take vengeance on others because the day will come when God will settle all the issues. He'll settle all the scores. So let God do that. Don't you do that. Let God do that. Now verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now that's not the rapture. That is the revelation when Jesus comes back to destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom. He will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire. Notice, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 9. These shall be punished 
with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Listen to me. God's love in this life when it is spurned by sinners becomes judgment and eternal damnation after death. Now, if you think for a moment that I love preaching that, you're really, truly mistaken. Because I don't want anyone to be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. I don't want that for anybody. But if I do not proclaim that from the pulpit, I am an unfaithful minister. Go to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Verse 12 and then verse 15. This is the description of the great white throne judgment. This is after the millennial kingdom is over. After that final rebellion on earth when the devil raises up those during the millennium who will rebel against God. They will be destroyed and cast into hell. There will be the... Judgment of the great white throne judgment. That's the very last event in time. And notice what it says in verse 12. Revelation 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. What that means is the normal, simple, everyday person and the powerful people of the earth. In other words, no one's going to escape. Standing before God, and we know the Bible teaches in the New Testament that God has committed all judgment to His Son. So Jesus the Son who is equal with God the Father, He is God who will be seated upon this throne judging unbelievers. Standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now there are different interpretations of this passage, but I just quickly want to suggest to you some of the possibilities, and I think any of them and all of them could be true. <laughs> when it says he opened the books, there's the suggestion that there are books into which God is writing down every single thing that you and I ever do. He keeps a record, and I believe that's true. And it's suggested here that it says he will open the books. Those books will be opened. Why? So that God will take the book out and say, Hey, John, this is your book. Is there a John here? I don't think so. Uh, John, here's your book. And this is what you did. You did. You did. You did. You did. You did. Now you're going to hell. And John's going to have to say, Yeah, and that's what I deserve. Because it's all written in the book. And I never got forgiveness from Christ. So the books could be books in which are written our works and the, oh, I shouldn't say ours, the works of lost people. Our works, by the way, are written down too and we will be judged out of those, evaluated, but we don't get evaluated as to whether we're saved or not. We get evaluated as to whether we are recompensed or we are rewarded for faithfulness or unfaithfulness. It could be, and I have always thought, that maybe the books that get opened are the books of the Bible. God has revealed in this book His will for all men. And I think what God is going to do is He's going to say, this is what my word says and this is what you did. This is what my word says, this is what you did. This is what my word says, this is what you did. And man will stand with his mouth shut before Almighty God. He will have no response to make to God because God will show him why he's deserving of eternal death in the lake of fire. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. End of verse 13. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Listen, there will be degrees of judgment in hell based upon how you've lived your life as an unbeliever. A Hitler will indeed be punished greater than just the average type sinner because of what they did, all the works they did. But now notice. Then death 
and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Hades, of course, is where people go now when they die without Christ. Hades is another word for hell. But it is a temporary place where they are in suffering awaiting the final judgment. Because Hades, that place, is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And it says that death will be cast there. Why? Because from this point on there will be no more death. Death is cast into the lake of fire. But now notice verse 15. And anyone, anyone not found written in the book of life, that is the book in which the names of believers appears. And I think the final thing that God will do after he either uses his word or uses the books that have our evil works written in them. I'm talking about, again, unbelievers. Once he's done that, the very last thing he'll do is says, I got one more book to open. The book of life. And come down through the list. If you'd trust Jesus, you would have been right there. But your name's not in the book. And anyone whose name is not found in the book is cast where? Into the lake of fire. And will be tormented how long? Back up in chapter 20. Just look quick. Chapter 20 and verse 10 of Revelation. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Aren't you glad that the devil and the antichrist and the beast... The false prophet are all going to be cast into the lake of fire. Isn't that good news? And then notice this. And they will be tormented. How long? Day and night. Forever and ever. God loves the whole world. He does. And he let his son Jesus die. For the world. But it's only those who believe in him who experience the full measure of God's eternal, irrevocable, unconditional love. Brethren, if someone does not love other Christians, they do not know God. Blame John. <laughs> Don't come after me. I'm just telling you what the man said under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How well are you and I doing at loving the brethren? How often do we do anything for somebody else? Sometimes we get to do a little bit when we came here on Sunday, right? We try to do a little bit, encourage each other, and well, we do, don't we? Yeah, well, we do. But folks, think about it. Most of us go the other six. I don't because I see y'all for whatever's going on. I'm around. But, but you know what? For many of you, you, don't see any, you won't see one other person that's here this morning until next Sunday if you come back. Is that what God intends. I don't believe so. I don't have to see y'all. But wouldn't it be nice to think the next week that you'll reach out to one brother or one sister in Christ and be an encouragement? I mean, do something special for them. Give a sister a call and say, would you like to go out for a cup of coffee and just have a little, you know, have a donut. Or if you're on a diet, have a, I don't know, Piece of celery. <laughs> no, but do you understand what I'm saying? You can't love God and not love his people. And I just want to ask us to examine ourselves. Don't think about anybody else here. Think about yourself. What did you do in the last seven days? How many times did you reach out to somebody in love for Christ's sake? And if you haven't, then you need to say, Look, don't... don't just throw your hands up and say, well, I've blown it. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm... No, you're not worthless. 
Because Jesus paid the price of his life for you. That shows how valuable you are. But what I want you to understand is being as valuable as you are, you need to live to manifest your gratitude to God for all he's done for you. And God says, you know what? You can do it to me by doing it to my other children. Ask God to help you to find somebody to bless this week to manifest the love of God too. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we could be here in your house today and open the Holy Scriptures and be reminded, oh God, that you've loved us when we were just a part of sinful humanity and you loved us enough to let your son die on the cross for the world. But that sacrifice, Lord, became very personal and real to those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will never perish. We will have eternal, everlasting life, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. But Lord, if we've been recipients of that kind of love, we need to manifest that kind of love. It's born into us so that we can breathe it out from our lives to others. And when we do, we're going to see in the rest of this passage that people today cannot see God, but they can see God through us when we love. Please, Lord, teach these principles to our hearts. We'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website And just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.